Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more, the pleasure of reading the scripture for you today. Um, I'll be reading Hebrews 4, uh, the entire chapter. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter the rest, just as God has said, I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, on the seventh day God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains, then, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord. And good morning. My name is also Dave. Um, And uh, I have the joy of opening up the scripture with you this morning. If you're in junior high, you're dismissed, so you can head off. Uh, to your class now. So um, as we've mentioned already, we're kind of in the middle of the season of Lent. Uh, Lent is this 40-day or so period of time in the spring when followers of Jesus are encouraged to kind of just change and shift the way that they go about their day-to-day lives to prepare themselves for Easter weekend, the events that took place. And so in just a few weeks, uh, we'll celebrate and remember the death of Jesus on Good Friday. And then on, on Resurrection Sunday, which is the third day, we celebrate that Jesus was miraculously raised uh, from the dead. And so that's so much. That is the core of what our Christian faith and tradition is all about. And so what VJ and I are hoping to do for the next two weeks is kind of just talk about Lent a little bit and how we can be posturing ourselves to ensure that we're actually able to get the most out of this experience, the most out of this season. Um, if, you're, if you're like me, then maybe you've had some confusion about Lent in the past. I, I, I mean, I see Lent as this opportunity to focus on, on Jesus, that he is to be the one that, as followers of Jesus, we consider him first in all things. And, and maybe, if you're like me, you've had some confusion around it or not really known all about it, and, and maybe you've got, at the very least, this idea that, well, Lent is about giving stuff up, right? 
Like, so, so what are you giving up this, this, this Lent? Or what are you fasting from uh, this season of Lent, right? And so uh, maybe though we're asking the question and I've had to go on this journey myself and ask, well, is it actually just about giving up something? Like, is it just about food or, or should I like, you know, be reading my Bible or praying more? Or is this like 40 days where I'm supposed to realize, uh, you know, how guilty I actually am before the throne of God and how I don't actually, you know, I actually, I mean, maybe I'm not feeling guilty enough or maybe I'm feeling too guilty or I'm not really sure. Or, or maybe I'm just supposed to awkwardly, like as people say, are you fasting from a particular food? I, I, just, I mean, well, I'm not, I, scripture I think says we're not supposed to talk about what we're fasting from. So we just find ourselves totally confused by all that. Maybe, maybe it's that, or maybe uh, you've thought of it kind of like I've thought of it, that it's actually 40 days of suffering to prove how committed we are to God. You know, God, I am loving, so I love you so much. I am so committed to you that I am going to fast from a particular food or I'm going to abstain and give up a particular luxury that I know I can have because I want to prove to you, God, how much I love you. And actually, if that's what you've thought, if you've been anything like me in that, that's actually, that's error. That's erroneous. That's not the right way to think of this season of Lent. Because Lent is not about what we do for God, but it's about stopping to remember the things that God has done for us. And so, this process of fasting, this process of giving up certain things, as important a spiritual discipline as that is, and I would encourage you at one point in time throughout the year, whether it's Lent, maybe you're doing that right now or at another place, it's important to, to give certain things up to, to remember that we rely on God first and foremost and not on the things of this earth. Yes, that's important, but for me, there's been a little bit of a, a different angle that I've been thinking about or reflecting on over the past couple of years, and that is, for me, Lent seems to function as almost an extended period of rest or Sabbath rest. It's this opportunity to stop, slow things down, and to reflect on the goodness of God. And yes, that means I change how I go about my day-to-day -day life. My schedule changes, things, the way I'm thinking change, the posture of my, all those things change. But there's this idea of I'm resting in what I know God has accomplished for me. And here's the thing. If this is true, that part of Lent is, is, is resting ourselves, um, it might be very difficult for many of us because we are not good at resting. Would you agree? Is it hard to slow down for you? I was reading some studies this past week and they were saying that 55% of Canadian women between the age of 18 to 55 say that they have a difficult time falling asleep and staying asleep. One third of men, this is a Canadian statistic again, one third of men in Canada age 30, in their 30s and 40s, uh, report that they only get between four and six hours a night of sleep, which is way below what it's needed for a human way below that. And all of this actually accounts, and among other statistics, accounts for the fact that um, we, are, Canada is the third most sleep-deprived nation in the world. So we're not good at rest. We're tired people, right? A few weeks ago, Vijay was talking when we were in our Wise Up series about how to make good use of our time. And one of the things he talked about is how uh, someone who might be new to our country or new to our town might think that everybody's name is tired or busy, right? Because it was, hey, how you doing? Oh, good, I'm tired, I'm but busy. That's an interesting name, right? Because that's just kind of what our posture is. It's hard for us to slow down. Why is it hard for us to slow down and rest? It's hard for us to do this because we're busy. 
There's always something to do. There's always something to be done or something that we're not sure that we were supposed to do it, but maybe we were. I can't remember if somebody else was going to cover that for us or if it was actually our responsibility. And we even have difficulty living in the moment, enjoying what we're in right at that moment because our mind is someplace else thinking about all of these things. And when busyness is at its worst, I think what happens is it actually turns into to, to worry and anxiety because now I'm worried that I didn't accomplish everything I was supposed to accomplish because I'm so busy. I've got anxiety or stress that I'm letting other people down or I'm letting myself down or something is not quite right. And, and busyness turns into worry, turns into anxiety, which as one writer, his name's Kevin DeYoung, he wrote a book called um, Crazy Busy. And in this book, in the third chapter, he writes about uh, the, what he calls the killer peas of, of, crazy, of a crazy busy life. And what he says is if you've kind of followed this downward spiral of busyness and, and all of these things, and actually what's happening, if you are living what he calls a crazy busy life, then you're actually in one way or another um, face, dealing with pride in your life. And he says that it's actually an area of pride when we get to a place where we have to be busy all the time, where we think that we've got all these things going on. And he says that we actually fall into this um, self, this inner dialogue of self-justification where we say a whole bunch of things. These are adapted from his book. I think you'll see them on the screen. He says, if I don't do this, then no one will. I've got to do it. Everything depends on me, we start to think. Everyone depends on me. My busyness is just because I have a lot of ambition. It's just because of how God made me. I like to take initiative, right? I can't let up because if I let up, then I'll make a mistake and my performance will dwindle and I don't want to ever want to be known as for that. Or I need to stay busy. I know it seems like my life is very busy, but in all honesty, it's when I'm most busy that I feel most in control, right? And this is a lie that I've believed. I use a, a, what we call a set calendar, which means every, almost everything I do in life is put into my calendar. If I could show you a screenshot, it would make you puke. Some of you might applaud, I don't know, but we, even to the point where an alarm goes off to remind me that it's time to go to bed at night. It's a true story, right? And, and I think, well, this is because I want control in my life, but in all honesty, it's just, it's just controlled chaos, really. It's actually not a healthy thing at all. He says, I do, too, I do too much, we say to ourselves, I do too much because that's what people like me are supposed to do. That's what's expected of somebody like me, or I'm going to take on this extra assignment, but it's actually not for me. I'm taking on this extra assignment because it'll help others in the office or help others that we're doing this group project with. Now, deep down inside, the pride part of that is, well, I'm going to be busy, but I'm going to disguise helping other people. Really, I just want to feel like the hero at the end of the day, right? And so he says that these are the things that cause us to be busy. These are the inner dialogues that we have that justify our busyness. And I think that this busyness goes even worse because gets even worse because as we continue in the downward spiral, something that we uh, eventually find ourselves in the middle of is having to choose between things that we think we ought to be doing and the people that are right in front of us. So some more self inner dialogue talk that you might be having is, well, you find yourself choosing between trying to have a tech free family dinner and just responding to a few more emails or texts that you didn't get to at the end of the day before coming home, right? Or maybe you find yourself missing out on uh, a coffee date, which is really an opportunity to share life with other people because you just need to spend a few more hours in the library so that way when you get to class the next day, you, can, you really got it all together 
right? And, and so what you do is, you, I mean, these are important things. Don't get me wrong. Work is an important thing. It's not an ultimate thing. School is an important thing. It's not an ultimate thing. And we find ourselves compromising where we leave behind the people right in front of us for something else. Maybe you found yourself again another week saying, well, I know I've missed home group already, but I just, I have to stay late and I don't think I can get, it, get there again. And listen, friends, that's not a shot. I'm not trying to take shots. I'm just saying this is our reality. These are the things we think about. This is the inner dialogue that goes on. And if it's true for you, like it's true for me, if you've got difficulty slow, slowing down and, and shutting off, then uh, what I think happens is we actually miss out on being able to experience the fullness of what the season of Lent is all about. And if we're too busy to slow ourselves down, to stop and to rest, then, to rest, then we run the risk of not being able to see what God is doing around us. Even worse, if we don't slow down and rest and just take a pause from everything that's going on in our crazy busy lives, then we risk not being able to see the work that God is doing in us and the work that God has done for us. Because if we're honest with ourselves, then probably at one time or another, we've come face to face with how busy we are that we find ourselves even too busy for God. And yet one thing I think we'll see in Scripture today in Hebrews chapter 4, which Dave read for us, is that there's hope for us. Praise God, there's hope for us. There is rest, and it's available, and we can receive this rest. And so, as I've mentioned, I see Lent as being this almost extended period of Sabbath, this extended period of being able to stop, to slow down, and to celebrate all that God has done. It's not about what we're doing for Him during these 40 days, but stopping to reflect and remember all that He's done for us during this season as we lead up to Easter weekend. And so if you do have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to grab that and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to be uh, working through a couple of different parts of that passage. And one thing you'll notice Right from the beginning of chapter 4, we find ourselves on the topic of rest. And so it says in verse 1 to 3, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, we who have believed enter that rest. Just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. So a few things going on in that passage that I think we need to kind of just break down so we can understand them a little bit. First of all, uh, the writer of Hebrews essentially is taking the entirety of the book to make a case that Jesus Christ alone, his life, his death, his resurrection, by faith in him alone, that is all that has ever been needed to truly receive salvation. To, to, to totally be freed from the life of sin, from the life of, of challenge, from the life of disaster, everything, the life of brokenness, Jesus has always been enough. There's no amount of uh, religion, there's no amount of rituals, there's no amount of high priests going into the holy place on behalf of the people, there's no amount of sacrifice other than Jesus, there's nothing that has ever been enough. And as the writer's making this case, what they do is they go back to the Old Testament, what we now know as the Old Testament. At the time, this was the only scripture that they had. And so they go back because the Jewish people would have had a lot of familiarity with what we know as the Old Testament. And he uses different stories from the Old Testament to make his case that what he's saying right now is true. It's not that Jesus was this idea that God came up with later, but this idea of finding rest 
in the sense that um, salvation is the ultimate form of rest. It's not that this was something God came up with later on in history. So the writer goes all the way back to the beginning of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, to build the case. And what we see in Genesis chapter 2 is the introduction of rest into the world. And the first one to rest is God himself. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array, but the seventh day God had fit, by, by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. What we see after creation is God slows down, God takes a rest. Now, a question that I've dialogued with people about before and that I've wondered myself is, well, if God is omnipotent, if God is all-powerful, if there's nothing that could ever stop him, if he has unlimited power, then why would he get tired? Or how could he get tired? And I think this is actually an interesting question to deal with. Well, I don't think of God, and I don't think we should think of God as some kind of character in a video game, <clears throat> that he goes about his daily life and above his head, there's a bar that is slowly getting smaller and smaller and smaller, representing his health, until he gets one of those health packets, which all of a sudden boosts it back up. I don't see it like that. We're in a movie theater, so maybe you're thinking about movies at the moment. You know, and you've watched your favorite comic book hero, and it's about 20 minutes left in the movie, and up until this point, the superhero has been absolutely just like, cannot be stopped until he or she suffers this incredible blow which knocks them down and they've got to retreat back to wherever they came from to kind of build themselves back up before they're ready for, for battle again. No, it's nothing like that. God doesn't rest because he's tired. He rests for a different reason altogether. I mean, think about it. In the creation account, how did God create? He spoke and that didn't tire him out. He said, let there be light. And then there was light. And then he said, let there be an expanse. And he talks about the expanse. Let the water go to one place and let the land go to another place. And he called the water the sea and he called the land the land. He called the dry ground the land, right? That didn't exhaust him. And so what he's doing here, what God is doing for us, he's actually setting up something completely different. He's actually showing us how we are to think about our work. Again, work is important, but it's not the ultimate thing. There needs to be space for rest. And for God, this space for rest was a sign of his accomplishment and his delight. All throughout the creation account that we read about in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that after God creates, he says, and it was good. Then he creates man and woman and he says it was very good. And he delights in his creation and he watches over his creation and he loves his creation and he rests. And what happens here, and we see in verse 3 of Genesis 2, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creation that he had done. He rested because he was finished. He had done enough. And what God was doing there and what God has done is he's initiated a pattern that is to be followed. It says that he declared the seventh day holy, which put in other ways that God set the seventh day apart. He made it entirely different, consecrated, sanctified it, whatever big word you want to use. It's completely different than all of the other days. Six days you can labor, six days you can work, six days you'll be busy, six days you can do all of those things. But on the seventh day, there's your rest. On the seventh day, you stop. And later on in history, this is so important to the point that later on in history, when God is talking to the nation of Israel and he's giving them his law, he includes the importance of Sabbath rest and commands it for his people. That's how important it is. So you might be thinking about the Ten Commandments, right? I know that my dad is looking forward to watching the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston. Comes on TV every year at Easter time and he loves watching it. Now, I, I don't know if he's realized yet that it's on Netflix. He can literally watch it anytime he wants. But he's, he can't wait for that because he loves the story. He loves the movie 
movie. It's super long, but he loves it all, right? He probably passes out and naps through part of it and then wakes up for the good parts, but that's okay. And so God is giving the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments are 10 of actually 613 laws, by the way, that God gave his people. And he says, I'm your God, you are my people, and here's how you will live. You are going to be a holy nation. You are going to be set apart. You are going to be different than all other people on the face of the earth. You are a distinct people. Because of your faith in me, because of my provision for you, here is what you will do. And in that list, he includes the importance of rest. Now, typically, we think of the Ten Commandments being in Exodus chapter 20, which is where they are. But if we go to Deuteronomy chapter 5, they're actually laid out again for us. They're revisited there by Moses as he's writing. And what he talks about there is very interesting to give us some context about what's supposed to happen during rest. Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or your daughter, nor your manservant, or your maidservant, nor your ox, or your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates. Don't freak out. That just means when somebody's visiting from another place, they need to rest too, so that way your servants don't need to do any work. They can rest as well, just like you do. Verse 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. God rested on the seventh day. God sets it apart. He commands us to rest. It's holy. We follow his design. But something else that happens while we're resting, we reflect and we remember the things that God has done for us. The Israelite people who God had rescued out of slavery in Egypt and brought them to the promised land, which was the land of Israel, this place of ultimate rest where they could finally have their peace. He says, while you're there enjoying it, you don't work all week. You take at least one day and you look back and you remember where I rescued you from. And it's interesting that he ties it back to Egypt because when they were in Egypt, they were slaves and all they did was work and work and work and work and they remembered what that was like and how terrible that was and he says you think about what i rescued you from now you can truly rest and and so what we see about rest sabbath really sabbath rest <clears throat> excuse me is that it's something that is accessible for followers of god but it's not something that we go and get ourselves it's something that we actually receive as we pop back to our passage in Hebrews chapter 4, there's something interesting there in that it seems to me like God is saying, I mean, well, he did say straight up, I swore on oath that they would not enter my rest, which tells us it's possible to receive this rest, but it's also possible to miss out on it altogether. Why? Because Sabbath rest is actually not just a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing, and ultimately, it's an act of faith. And so we follow God's example and then he took the seventh day off, that he rested, that he had delighted in all that he had done. But what we do in the meantime is we honor him, that we don't actually have to worry about what we do on, we don't have to worry at all on that day because we believe that God is in control. And so while we're resting ourselves from our work, we're actually finding soul rest because what we're saying is, God, I trust you and know that you are sovereign over all things. I can work hard, for a good portion of the week, but I can take this day off and know that even while I'm not doing any work, you're still at work doing good things, taking care of me. 
Think about this. In the context, all of this was being said to an agrarian society. These were people who ran farms. They lived off the land. And so being told to take a day off was really risky. Why? Because imagine you ran a farm. Some of you don't have to imagine. Maybe you do run a farm. And by taking that day off, what you did was you eliminated one day per week where you were able to work the field, which means that you possibly weren't able to take as much food to the market to sell that food, which would get you money to provide for your family. So when God says take a day off, that has a direct impact on their livelihood. Or maybe, again, this farmer community, they're on their day off and while they're resting, not supposed to do any work, birds come and attack their field. Or foxes break in and attack their chickens or something like that. And they can't run. They can't do any work because they're committed to God. They don't run out and scare all the birds away. So what God is asking them to do is actually incredibly risky. Why? Because it has a direct impact on their life. This is where the faith comes in. God is saying, take a day to remember that when you were in slavery, I got you out of there. I provided for you while you were wandering around in the desert. Food literally fell down from heaven. You picked it up and you ate it. I've taken care of you and everything. You can take one day off and trust me with that. As a matter of fact, all the other six days where you're working, by the way, God says, I control the rain too. You know, and back then they couldn't just go get, you know, I don't even know the words, like sprinkler systems and, and all that kind of stuff to do it themselves. They didn't have that. So God is saying, you already trust me for everything that happens. All you have is a gift from me. So take this day. Remember what I've, what I've done for you. It's good for your soul. It's good for your body. You need it. It's part of the creation order. It's important. And now we might not be farmers. Again, you might be a farmer. I don't know. But, but no matter farmer or not, this still speaks directly into the way that we tend to live our crazy busy lives. Because again, when that self-justifying inner dialogue comes up, we might be saying, I work more overtime so I can make more money so I can provide better for my family. And I've had these questions and inner dialogue that's happened to me too. And yet I think that the question that God is asking us when we start to think that way is, well, are you actually the ultimate provider for your family? Or is it me? I think back to this episode of The Simpsons. I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons when I was a kid. So I watched a lot of it in my 20s. And so that's why it's a little bit more recent to me. And I remember one time when uh, Bart Simpson is praying uh, just before a meal. And what he prays is he says, uh, God, I thank you that we were able to, you know, get jobs. to do." And he's basically saying, we don't really need to thank you, God. We, we just did all this work ourselves. And so we're just mentioning it to you because he sees himself as the ultimate provider. Again, later on, this is now Jay-Z accepting a Grammy award. One time he says, I want to thank God. Well, actually, I just want to thank God a little bit. Because then what he says next is he says, I actually got this Grammy. I actually got this award all for myself. And one way or another, we do that to ourselves. We think that we're self-sufficient, that we're our own ultimate providers, that we've done it all ourselves. And God says, take a day. Can you take a day to prove that you, can you take a day to, not, not prove, but can you take a day to reflect and remember that I'm taking care of you? Maybe you're saying, well, you know, I'm not at work yet. I'm, I'm still in school. And, and one of the reasons I put in all these extra hours at school is because I know it's crazy busy right now, but one day I'm going to land a good job. And then when I have that good job, then I'll have more time and I'll be able to rest and I'll be able to, you know, do all those kinds of things. And I'm not that old, but one thing I've learned is that if you're not busy with one thing, you're totally busy with another thing. It's actually this weird thing that you will have a very difficult time escaping unless we take God's offer and by faith choose to rest. And so rest is not just something that we do, it's something that we receive. 
And again, this is more about our physical rest. It's about our spiritual rest. As we even tie this th- all this back into the idea of Lent. Lent is not about what we do for God, but stopping to reflect what God has done for us. And as we do this, as we rest ourselves, as we experience this extended period of, of Sabbath, what we do is we get to feel and understand the intermingling of our soul and our body our spirit and our physical and our physicality. We get to see how these two things are completely put together. This is what Lent is about. I'm willing to stop. I'm willing to change the way I go about living my life. Again, if you're choosing to fast from a food or abstain from a particular luxury, you're saying I'm willing to make a distinct change in how I'm going to live this next month and a bit as we get ready for Easter. I'm going to change all that to posture myself to be able to reflect on what God has done, to be able to receive from him and all of this. It's not what we do for God, it's what God does for us. And this is what Hebrew the writer of Hebrews says again in verse 9 and 10 of chapter 4. There remains a Sabbath rest for people for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from him. And so what we're told, did from his. What we're told here is that we don't just have the opportunity to rest our bodies, though we need that rest. We also have this opportunity in Jesus to find rest for our souls. When we're not caught up in the busyness of our lives about what work we can do or, or not do or what, how we're going to get to all of these family events or how we're going to, like when we're not caught up in the busyness of our physical life, we could very easily get caught up in all the busyness of trying to provide for ourselves in terms of our spiritual life, right? And so we say, well, you know what? I'm going to work extra hard today to do more good things than evil things. So at the end of the day, when God looks at me, at least he's going to see that the scales are, 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 are off balance and that I've done more good than bad. And, and then maybe he'll, he'll honor me and recognize me because of that. Or we say, you know, I'm going to do my best to be morally upright, as morally upright a person as I possibly can be, because God will see again that uh, I'm, tr- I'm doing my best. And what he'll do is he'll bless me for those good things. He'll reward me for that work. Or maybe you found yourself, and I've been here too, living up or keeping up righteous and and holy appearances in front of others. We know what we're supposed to say and when we're supposed to say it, but then what happens on the drive home or the ride home or when we're late at night, when we're reflecting on our day, we're saying, it's all a ruse. It's all a joke. There's no way God could ever take me seriously. Or maybe you work towards keeping every single command that God has given and what you're doing is you're actually trying to earn his love. You're just trying to get all of the boxes checked on a list because at the end of the day, you want to make sure that God loves you and you're not always completely sure. And what happens when we do this is we find ourselves spiritually exhausted. We don't have rest in our souls. And I think that even more than rest in our bodies or rest in our minds, we want to have confidence that we can have rest in our soul. And so what we see is that this rest that God gives is not something that we earn, but it's actually something that we receive. It's something that we say, God, I trust you enough to take that day. That, you're gonna, that you have been providing for me all along, you'll continue to take care of me on that day of rest. And while I'm taking that day of rest and resting my bones, resting my muscles, resting my body, it's during that time when I'm also gonna stop and think about you. And I'm gonna worship you. And I'm gonna praise you knowing that you are in control. And so I see Lent as an extended period of time to do this. 
And here's how the writer of Hebrews kind of puts a cap on all this in verse 14, 15, and 16. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith faith that we profess. If you go ahead and read the book of Hebrews, maybe this is a good Sabbath activity to do today or tomorrow whenever you have a chance. As we go and do this, you see that the writer of Hebrews has been making a case showing that every priest that has ever functioned in the entirety of the nation of Israel, so many of them, they had a purpose at the time, but none of them could ever do what was ultimately needed. Jesus is the ultimate final high priest who makes the ultimate final sacrifice on behalf of people. He says, we have a high priest who understands us. He understands our weaknesses. He's been tempted in every every way. It says, um, where does it say that? In verse 15, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet we did not sin. I bet Jesus had the temptation to be crazy busy. Imagine what he could have accomplished. I mean, it says at the end of the Gospel of John that if everything he ever did was recorded, all the books in the world could not record it, and he only works six days a week. How many more books would you need if there was that seventh day of work, right? But he never sinned in that way, and that's just one element, an area of sin that Jesus covered for us when he went to the cross. Every other area was covered as well. And so we're told that we can approach God's throne of grace to receive mercy and get grace when? In our time of need. Which means that God makes it possible for us to receive this gift of total Sabbath rest for our souls by giving us Jesus Christ. And so when we look to Jesus and we say, I believe you, I trust in you, you've given your life for me, the ultimate thing, you gave it for us, and by faith in you now, we've become a part of your, God, part of your family, God. We are, we are now uh, saved. We have this ultimate rest. We can actually stop. And all of this is anti-pride, completely anti-pride. It has nothing to do with our performance. It has only to do with Jesus' performance on the cross. Why? Because we can't get grace or mercy when we think we're self-sufficient. When we think that we're doing just fine, when we're living that morally upright life, when everything seems to be under control, what actually happens is we don't need God anymore. And when we don't need God, well, we can't get the things that God has to offer us. And so this whole thing is rooted on being weak, on not boasting in anything that we've ever accomplished, but relying completely on who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Right? So we, this is the beautiful thing about going to the throne room of God. When we approach God, which, by the way, we can do with confidence, as it told us in Scripture, so we don't have to kind of putter around. When we pray, when we approach Him, when we reflect on Him and who He is, we can be confident knowing that He hears us because we've got a mediator, Jesus, who is ma- who's enabling us to be heard by the Father in heaven. When we spend this time in self-reflection, one thing that I notice is that, man, am I ever weak. Man, is my life ever a train wreck. Do I ever, do I, man, do I need help. And as we do that during the season of Lent, during this time of Sabbath rest, whatever it may be, then we say, okay, now I've got the posture to go into the throne room of God with confidence, not bringing gifts to him, not saying, here's the good stuff I did, God, but with empty hands, really on our face, and having God pick us back up and load our hands up with things. He gives us the gift of rest for our soul. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. So when we come to the throne of grace, we get what we don't deserve and that God gives us life. And the wages of our sin, Scripture tells us, is death. The cost of all the disobedience towards God is death, separation from Him. But what does He give us? Grace, that which we do not deserve, life. He gives us rest. 
and that what which we which we do not deserve, right? Mercy, we don't get what we do deserve. What what we do deserve is to be judged, is to be condemned, is to be punished, to be given this consequence, to be faced these consequences. But when we come empty-handed, weak, saying, "God, I, I have nothing. All I need is you," then what happens is He gives us what we need, and He keeps back all those things that we do deserve. Isn't that incredible? What an incredible King! What an incredible invitation that we have, and it's one we're made aware of our weakness that we're able to stop and reflect on who he is and see that, man, does he ever bless us so richly and so powerfully. And so I want to just conclude by giving us some ways that I think we can posture ourselves to receive these gifts of grace that God has to give us. Now, remember, I've been saying this over and over and over again. Lent is not about what we do for God, but it's about what God does for us right? And so even as I wrote this, I said, here are some things you can do this week, which I thought was totally antithetical to my whole point. Instead, I just changed it a little bit. Here's how we posture ourselves to receive, okay? Here's how we hold out our hands. Here's how we can celebrate the finished works of Jesus, the things that he has done. Here's how we can celebrate who God has made it possible for us to be, how we celebrate this rest. Number one, play some worship music and don't be afraid to really belt it out. Almost sounds goofy, right? That whole idea, dance like nobody's watching or whatever, Right? But the idea when it comes to worship music, the best worship music is the stuff that focuses on the character of God, when it focuses on the things that God has done, when it focuses on Jesus and who he is and who the Holy Spirit is enabling us to be. And so put this music on and belt it out, saturate yourself, marinate yourself, just be, soak in the words of these songs and you can belt it out knowing that God doesn't have a clipboard adjudicating your performance because he's not looking at how you sound, he's looking at your heart and what's going on on the inside. We were over with some friends yesterday and there was like a dance party that took place. Now it was to uh, a song from the movie Sister Act, but still it was that joyful, joyful song, or no, uh, oh, oh, happy day. And there's a celebration that takes place and like I didn't dance, I, I don't really dance. I kind of just moved to music a little bit sometimes. But the celebration that was happening with our kids was like a beautiful picture of what I think worship can actually be. Sing like only God is listening and dance like he's, only, he's the only one watching. Maybe you want to watch a dramatic reenactment of the life of Jesus or other stories of scripture. Again, my dad will be watching Ten Commandments. If I'm lucky, I'll get to watch it with him. But maybe you want to watch, you know, the Bible series um, or you want to watch a movie called Risen, which was recommended to me. I hope to watch it sometime this week. Risen is a story uh, of a Roman soldier's account of, of, uh, of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And something that happens when we watch these movies, perhaps you're into to plays or maybe you just need to read, a, read a, a dramatic telling of it or whatever it is. As we do that, as the storyteller are so excellent in pulling out these details, we actually find ourselves in the midst of the story and it helps us celebrate that Jesus did this for us. The whole gospel account, everything that we see in the gospels, none of it is anything about what we've ever done. It's all pointing to the miracles that he did, the sacrifice that he gave, the teachings that he, all of it points towards him. And this season of Lent, extended Sabbath, is about resting in that. Uh, maybe you want to get your hands on a children's Bible and read through that. Uh, last night, Jack and I were reading through, um, it's called the Easter story. And, and basically it goes through some of the accounts of the last days of Jesus before he goes to the cross and is crucified right through until his ascension. And one thing, it's a kid's book, but the beautiful thing about the story of Jesus and the gospel is that it can be uh, understood by someone who's four years old and, and, be, and they can marvel in it, but it can also, somebody who's been thinking about it for 70 or 80 years can still marvel in the beauty of it. And as I read through it, as I looked at the pictures and the way that it was put together, just help me stop and pause and say, Jesus, thank you for being one who even cares about the little children. 
And thank you to the people who produced this book that they would make Jesus accessible, that he's not held off until you're older and wise enough to understand, but even those of us who think we're wiser and older to understand can go and learn so much from that. Maybe, maybe you need to carve out some time in your crazy busy calendar, just carve out some time to, 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 to pray and to read scripture. And to, and to just spend your time reading through the accounts of what took place in the last days. My wife has been reading Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And somebody, a friend of ours recently said that that's her favorite uh, passage of Scripture in John, uh, well, in John anyway, in, in the Gospels, in John is what she was talking about because that's where she sees um, the most human version of Jesus. Because it's there where, he sa- where he's praying and he's, he's nervous to the point of sweating and he's sweating blood, which is this actual physical thing that was taking place because of how, how he was concerned about what was going to take place where he says to God, God, I believe that this is your plan, but if there's any other way, and we just get this totally raw version of Jesus praying in the garden that's so relatable and so human, and perhaps you need to soak in that a little bit. Whatever you do, remember that it's not about what we have done for God but it's about remembering and worshiping him for the things that he has done for us. And when we come to the throne of grace saying, I can't bring anything here other than myself and I'm ready to receive, that's when God blesses us richly with the things that only he can give us. So I'm going to pray. The worship team is going to come and join us and lead us in a closing song. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for Jesus and that he is the final sacrifice. All work spiritually is completely done and it actually even gives us the framework for which we can live out our own crazy busy work lives. We can work hard and we can be good at our jobs and we can put a lot of, uh, a lot of energy and effort into that, but we can also stop and we can trust that you've got us taken care of in all of this anyways. Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross for us, that you lived a life we couldn't live for ourselves, that you died the death that we deserved and yet gave us the gift of life, that you gave us the gift of salvation. And by faith in you, we receive that and we get spiritual rest knowing that you take care of all of us. Father, thank you for setting up in the creation account that you, even you rested, that you don't just tell us what to do, but you show us what to do time and time again, and that you care for who we are as whole people. And so as we rest our bodies and we reflect on thinking about what you've accomplished for us in the past and what you're continuing to do for us now, we get to just marvel at you and what you've done and worship you. And so Father, help us to be mindful of this all throughout the remaining weeks of Lent and perhaps even beyond. It's not too late. There's two weeks until we celebrate your death and your resurrection, Jesus. And it's not too late to reorient our lives and focus on you, to rest in your goodness, to reflect on what you've done for us. So help us to do that. For your glory, we pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.